What do you eat for breakfast most days? Honestly, most days, coffee. I intermittent fast, so usually my first meal is around lunchtime. What's your favorite go-to snack? Lately, it's been avocado with everything bagel seasoning. What's your favorite takeout food? Kind of make my own. It's egg roll in a bowl, but I'm making it, so I don't know if that really counts as takeout. So excluding spices and oils, what are your top three pantry ingredients? Butter-flavored coconut oil, collagen, and MCT. And do you have any kitchen gadgets that you just can't live without? Tongs and rubber spatulas. Hey, Tedra. Hey, Jane. So today we're talking with Kendra Holly. She's the woman behind the popular keto blog, Peace, Love, and Low Carb. If you need help going low carb or ketogenic, this girl's got you covered with everything from dinners to cocktails. On this episode, we discuss how a weight struggle led her to low carb and then eventually a keto lifestyle, how she became an international best-selling cookbook author, I think three times over, you guys. She's one of the original gangsters of the keto blogging world. Her recipes are for everyone. They're super simple. And all the ingredients can be found in one store, which is like, this is what we need in our everyday life. So before we get started on the show, we have a quick favor to ask. If you're loving the podcast, if you're enjoying all these interviews, learning about these guests and all these people we follow online, mention it to a friend. Share it with a friend. It really helps people find us and it just helps our ratings. So just click the share button and spread the get to know love. Thanks, guys. You're listening to We Get to Know Podcast, and for years, we've all been following some of the most inspiring creatives, innovators, social media influencers, and bloggers. Simply put, we're inspired. The next best thing to following our favorite people is hearing their stories straight from them. So listen in as we get to know Kendra. So hey, Kendra, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. Where are you calling in from today? Uh, Just outside of Seattle. I'm about 40 minutes south of Seattle. Oh, I love it up there. Yeah, it's beautiful today. It doesn't rain nearly as much as people think, and it's actually beautiful blue skies today, just really windy. Oh, pretty. I love the Northwest. My brother was in Portland for a while. It's just so pretty. Can't beat it. Okay, so we love to get started by just hearing some of your early days, like childhood, especially how it relates to food, siblings, where you grew up, and all that kind of stuff. I grew up only about 20 minutes from where I currently live. So I'm just born and raised here in the Western Washington area, and I haven't moved too far away. We've done a lot of traveling, but we always come back to the, you know, the same area. And I just grew up in like kind of a middle, lower class family. I don't really remember like wanting for anything, but I knew that we didn't have a lot, if that makes sense. For food, it was always just kind of whatever was the cheapest cut of meat, whatever might be clearance or on sale for the week. Uh, And then, you know, like a lot of frozen vegetables, things like that. It was just, I grew up in a very, like quite literally meat and potato household where the only condiments were salt, pepper, and ketchup and everything was cooked, like (laughs) cooked to extinction. Like everything is well done. Like every vegetable was mushy. Every meat was well done. And so my mom tells me all the time that she has no idea how I turned out to be a cookbook author based on the food she fed me all growing up. I think we hear that more often than you'd expect, actually. Yeah, I know. People always ask me, like, oh, my God, what was the food in your house, like, growing up? And I was, like, inedible. Like, <laughs> like gray steak yeah. and some potatoes uh, and frozen carrots. Mystery food? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so how many siblings? One older sister. Okay. And then were you involved in cooking much or not really? You know, I kind of got to a point in my teens where – they raised my allowance if I would cook dinner one or two nights a week. And I don't know that I would say that that was necessarily involved. I kind of feel like it was just sharing the responsibility of the household. Like it was 
it was a chore. It wasn't something at the time that I had already developed a love for. It was just kind of like, if I do this, I'll get a higher allowance. And then I could actually like season that taste, you know, in, in a manner that tasted good. And so, yeah, no but yeah, that was kind of like my foray into cooking was kind of chore based. Okay. So fast forward and tell us how was school? Like, did you go to college? What'd you study? So I did really well in school. I didn't really stand out. You know, I wouldn't, I just was kind of there. School like wasn't this like huge part of my life where like a lot of my memories are tied to it, you know? Actually, this is something a lot of people don't know, but I dropped out of high school. No way. Yeah, I just, I went to school a lot afterwards and I kind of considered myself a professional student because I just loved to learn. So I took a lot of different classes and certifications later, but... It just took you a minute to get there. Yeah, but it, it was weird because high school just wasn't for me. I don't, I don't, it was hard to describe. Like I just, I never had that high schooler mentality. Like I wasn't about collecting friends or popularity and the curriculum didn't even seem right for me. Like I just, it just wasn't my thing. It's really weird to say, but yeah. So I left my high school and went to an off-campus school. Were your parents freaking out? They were initially because I said, hey, you know, I would like to drop out of high school <laughs> and just <laughs> get my DVD, but they're like, the, what now? <laughs> But my situation was kind of unique in that I was ahead on credits. I was set to graduate early. I got really good grades and they just couldn't really figure out why. Like, you know, they wanted to make sure that I wasn't getting bullied or that there wasn't some like deeper reasoning for it. Oh yeah. That's interesting. Huh? Yeah. And so because I was ahead on credits and I, I would have graduated early, I had to sit down with my guidance counselor. But I was able, even at that age, to articulate why I didn't feel like it was right for me. And then they signed me out. That's amazing. That's kind of cool, actually. I mean, I don't want to encourage like dropping out of high school, but it's like you knew what you wanted and it didn't keep you from success or performance, you know, or hard work. You just needed a different path. Yeah, and you know, I don't think it's this like, stigma that it used to be you know it used to be like oh my you know like I'm like yeah what am I like I'm doing <laughs> I'm like doing drugs behind the building oh my god she's a high school dropout you know <laughs> right like what does that even mean these days but yeah I just I was able to sit down in a calm and rational manner articulate why I didn't feel like it was the right environment for me and I think that that was why that I wasn't just like you know, acting out and throwing a fit and raging and being like, I'm not going to school and you can't make me, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it was so, like, it was a thought out decision. It was. Yeah. Take us from there. I read that you were so many years involved in the restaurant industry. Did you kind of get into that pretty quickly or how did all of that happen? Yeah, I started working in restaurants when I was 17 and I was going to community college too. And I really didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. The only thing that I knew that I really wanted to be my whole life, and it's kind of funny that I ended up doing what I, I am doing now, it looks different. The picture isn't the same, but I wanted to be an author my whole life. That's what I wanted to do. So oh, it's wow. pretty cool that like, like I wrote this book when I was seven years old and in the like about the author page, I like, you know, it was just like a little kid. Like, <laughs> I'm so like, creative. <laughs> yeah. I was like, about the author page was like, my name is Kendra. I'm seven years old. I like Easter. I like to ride my 10 speed. I have two Aww. dogs, a cat and a cockatiel. And then at the end it said, when I grow up, I want to be an author illustrator. Oh, that's amazing. And so like, here I am now, but yeah, getting back to your initial question, sorry. I worked in restaurants for 15 years. I always felt called to do more. So I would usually have a second job as well. And it wasn't always at a financial need. It was just that I knew that I was meant for something greater than the restaurant industry. And that's not to downplay it for anyone still doing it. I wouldn't take those years back for anything because 
They taught me a lot of things that helped me run my own successful business today. But, you know, I, I did tech support for a bank. I took two years of sign language and I was interpreting. Like I just, I was always doing something else because I knew I wanted to do something else. I just didn't know what it was. Mm. I like that you kept moving though, you know. I don't know where I heard this quote, something about like, a rudder works when the boat's moving, right? Like, so you got to be moving for the, the rudder, which points and gets you going in the right direction to work. And I like that because you kept moving, you kept learning, you kept making good decisions. And then, and then you were ready probably when the time was right. Okay, so you're very forthcoming about how you struggled with your weight. Was this like your whole childhood you struggled with your weight? Or was that later that you put on weight like in high school days or... You know, it kind of always makes me go back to the quote of, you know, you'll hear people say, I wish I was as fat as I was when I thought I was fat, you know, like I, or I <laughs> yeah, wish I was, right. as, I wish I was, I was as thin as I was when I thought I was fat, whatever the quote is. But right. I never realized, I didn't think that I had a weight problem. My peers made me think that I had a weight problem. So growing up, I was taller than all my friends, banished to the back row of every school photo. I wouldn't say I was had a weight problem just yet, but I was taller than my friends. I developed faster and kids are just relentlessly awful. <laughs> and, you know, like mm-hmm. so mean, I yeah. didn't, people taught me how to hate myself. I didn't get there on my own. And then a lot of things happened throughout life. And I, you know, in my twenties and thirties and like, it was just a lifelong struggle with my weight, but I was never small. It just wasn't always a weight problem. In some regards, I kind of feel like the tormenting and standing out just from being taller and bigger and more developed kind of led to the weight problem. Kind of like, I'll show you, I'll get fat, you know, like not really, but. But sort of like in the way back kind of subconscious. Yeah. Like on a deeper subconscious level. Yeah. So you started to gain weight and then I guess like talk to me about your relationship with food during those bulk, the bulk of those years. And then what got you into keto? Like how did you discover that whole low carb world? You know, so it was really hard. When I wrote my book, Craveable Keto, a lot of the front matter about that book is really about my weight struggles and kind of my personal story. And it was really cathartic to write because I started writing and it just poured out of me. And there were some things that I didn't remember that I realized after going through the writing process that my bad relationship with food started way earlier than I even realized it did. And <laughs> yeah, I guess you could say I was born an entrepreneur too, because I remember being younger and I would get like the coolest school supplies, like, you know, like the scented pencils that smell like grape yeah, or strawberry. Yeah, the cool stuff, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you can like pull the lead out the bottom and you put it through oh, the top. Yeah. And then, uh-huh. yeah. So my parents would buy me those or I would use my allowance to buy those. Well, I would go set up on the playground and I would sell them at recess and I would use the money to buy ice cream because my parents, we were on the free lunch program and you didn't get ice cream with, you know, and so I would sell my school supplies to use the money to buy ice cream. And I never, ever thought about that until I started writing my book. And I'm like, that's a problem already. Like when you're seven, eight years old and you're selling school supplies to buy ice cream, like that's... That's so start, interesting. Mm-hmm. That's the start of a much bigger problem. And then restaurants is when it really got out of control, you know, because you're working nights, you're serving all this food, you're surrounded by all this food, you're eating it. Well, then what do you do when you get off? It's 11 o'clock at night. You go out with all your restaurant friends to yes. another restaurant that's open later than yours and you and eat you drink food and, and you drink yeah. all night. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then you go to bed right after that and then you get up, wash, rinse, repeat. So... Yeah, it's so unhealthy. It just really is. Oh, Yeah. I gained a lot of weight during my restaurant years and it was actually one of my friends that I worked with that kind of introduced me to a low carb lifestyle. She had said, and this was probably 
15 years ago now, she had said, hey, have you ever heard of Atkins? Like, it's just like low carb. And she just pitched it to me like, we can eat bunless cheeseburgers with like as much ranch as we <laughs> want. <and> cheese. <laughs> yeah. And I'd be like, we can have bunless cheeseburgers with as much ranch as we want. We could drink like Michelob Ultra, you know, low carb beer. And I was like, yeah, dude, that sounds awesome. Like I'm in, right? And so, yeah. you know, I was like in my early 20s. And so I had, you know, I had age and hormones still on my side and it was different than anything else I had done. And the weight just fell right off. I lost 60 pounds in what felt like overnight. Oh, wow. But it gave me this just really, really false picture and belief of what health and wellness was. Because I was still uh, at a point where I only equated it with a number on the scale and how I looked. And I didn't fix what was broken. Like I didn't get rid of any of the emotional baggage that was quite literally leading to physical baggage. Like I didn't care about the nutrition of food. It was literally just like, what is the carb count on this Franken food box? And so, you know, that led to its own host of problems and gaining it all back, obviously. And it's such a blow to gain it all back. Don't you think like, oh, <laughs> it is because I felt, I felt like so much more of a failure gaining it back than I ever did when I was just heavy all the years before, because it's like, not only am I the fat girl, I'm the fat girl who has no willpower whatsoever you know? Mm -hmm. And so it was just like a whole new level of shame and self-loathing to where I just felt like, God, I wish I had never lost it in the first place. I got a taste of what it felt like to be seen again and to want to be seen again, only to go back into like a way deeper state of hiding. Hey guys, we're going to pause for a minute to tell you about one of our partners. Anyone interested in 30% off the best vitamins? We know health and nutrition is important to everyone. One thing that goes hand in hand with our health is supplemental care. We've partnered with Dr. C Vitamins to offer you a 30% discount off their premium pharmaceutical grade and medically endorsed line of supplements. All vitamins are not created equal. In fact, there is no FDA oversight for supplements. Unlike over-the-counter vitamins, Dr. C supplements are manufactured without commonly found synthetic ingredients. I mean, you guys, who wants synthetics going into our bodies? They're also non-GMO and gluten-free. Their standards are so high, these vitamins are actually manufactured just like a prescription drug would be in an FDA-registered facility. Most vitamins do not subject themselves to this level of oversight. People are always asking if we take these personally, and we do. I take the D3K2 combo to support bone health, memory, mood, and immune support, and their collagen biotin that supports strong hair, nails, and skin. And then when I'm having those nights where I'm having a hard time falling asleep and unwinding, I take the melatonin B6 combo, and it really helps me gently fall asleep naturally. So give them a try, you guys. Go to drccares.com, use our code WEGETTONOW, and save 30% on your next order. Now enjoy the rest of the interview. So tell us, like, what are some of the key things that have happened from then, like at those lows, to where you're at now in a healthier mindset about yourself and self-care and about food? Like, what are some of the key things that have really helped you along the way? You know, it's just been an ever-evolving process. You know, I always tell people just start with where you're at and do the best with what you can and what you have and then learn as you go. Because I didn't just wake up overnight and know about nutrition. Like I said, it was literally just like, oh, those are low carb chips. No, they're not, you know, but like just eat <laughs> anything that just, you know, for the carb count. And then, you know, you just learn. So going through it as I am now, you know, I learned like more about how much the quality of our food matters and how much ingredients matter and how honestly, if you're really eating nutrient dense, healthy foods, there's really not an ingredient label. There's not an ingredient label on meats and veggies and dairy, you know, mm -hmm. so it's just a learning process just to cleaning it up. And then also, it was the bigger part of the picture for me was the emotional side, like learning, okay, like, what are my triggers? 
what led to being overweight, what led to keeping the weight on, like, how did that weight turn into like full on body armor from an emotional sense, you know, and then kind of uncovering and layering all of that, because I've learned something each time that's led me to where I am, but I lost it and gained it again after that. And each time I learned, okay, what's, yeah, I learned, okay, like, what's the problem here? And what's going to fix this, you know, going forward? Well, practice makes perfect. I mean, like it does. You wish it could just all, you know, you learn one magic thing and everything's great and you discard all these bad habits, you know, years in the making, but that's really not reality. It's not how it works. It just takes practice and time, effort and a little bit of help. Yeah, and the thing that most people don't realize, there's very few things in life that are actually linear in how you get there. It's true. I mean, just to equate it to driving, think of of a commute anywhere you go, how many stops, starts, turns, turn around, you know, like life is like that. Everything in life is like that. And learning about yourself personally, professionally from a weight standpoint, it's all like that as well. And so I think the biggest thing that I've learned is just to give myself more grace, but in that grace and kindness, the distinction of what excuses are because that can be a really slippery slope when you go like, Oh yeah, I'm just giving myself grace. And you know what? My, my person of my grace, my food freedom is this giant pizza. You know, like it's, Mm -hmm. it's a fine line between giving yourself grace, but also making excuses for your poor decisions. And so I really navigated that from a critically honest standpoint. And that has kind of been the missing puzzle piece is getting the emotional side of it in check and, you know, really learning about myself and what makes me tick and what my triggers are. And then just ultimately deciding what I will and will not tolerate in my life and from the people around me. And that is a huge, like, I watch people all the time. They're like, yeah, I'm clearing my home of toxins. Like, look at, I've gotten all, I I use essential oils. I've gotten all these non-toxic cleaners, but they're still surrounding themselves with toxic people. And that just, just, that just does as much damage. Mm -hmm. The relationships, even more maybe. I mean, that emotional component of community and relationships and, and words spoken. And yeah, I can agree with that. So when and why did you start the blog? So I started my blog in 2011 and I had lost the weight. And then I had gained it back. And then I was like, okay, I knew that this worked for me in the past. I had already met my husband and I was like, hey, you know, back in the day with one of my girlfriends, you know, I tried a low carb diet and I say diet because at the time I still viewed it as a diet, not a lifestyle. And I said, it really worked for me. Would you be interested in doing it with me? And he was like, yeah, sure. And I've always loved taking pictures as well. So I just started taking pictures of everything that I was eating and someone had said, you should start a blog. And I was like, yeah, I should, you know, and so I started a blog and apparently I'm like really open to suggestion because I was like, yeah, I'm done. Done. I should start a blog. But it was funny because it was, it was on private settings. So it was still kind of like a journal. No one could really read it. And I'm by nature, like through and through, like, I feel like if you're not learning, you're, you're dying, Mm, not learning and growing. And so instead of being like, who could I pay to build this blog? Like I taught myself how to do HTML coding. Like I completely built it. And I would like looking back on what it was from what it is now, like it's (laughs) funny, but it makes me so proud too, because like I started a blog, like self-hosted on blogger where I did all the HTML coding and I was taking the pictures on a first generation iPhone in like a really poorly lit kitchen. (laughs) Okay. Hold up. Like, did you know, how did you know anything about HTML coding? Is this like the university of Google? (laughs) I pick up on things really, really fast. I will say that. But I just, I'm not the kind of person that's like, if you ask me and I have, and I say, I don't know, I'm going to know someone next time someone asks me and it's not from a place of ego. It's because it's like, huh, I don't know. I, now I want to know too, you know? Oh, I'm like that too. I can't stand it. Like I got to go home and figure it out. It bugs me not to know. <laughs> 
Yeah. Like I, and then I'm like, of course I'll end up like in a deep dive where I'm like, <laughs> okay, I could tell you one thing about it, but do you want to know 45 things about it? <laughs> you know? So yeah. And it was like, you know, just the basics of HTML and just kind of doing it that way. And then someone, you know, that's kind of the rise of Facebook and someone's like, you should start a Facebook page. And there we go again with the suggestion. And I was like, I should start a Facebook. <laughs> You're like the <laughs> yes girl, like the movie. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and it was kind of funny because I remember so distinctly my friend sent me a text or I sent her a text message. I said, Oh my God, I have 300 Facebook <laughs> followers. And she responded back and it's like the funniest typo ever because she meant to say you are a superstar, but she said you ate a superstar. And I was like, no, if I ate a superstar, I'd be way fatter. Like, just like, you know, like self-deprecating humor. But then from there, it just kind of took on a life of its own. Like I was finding success and losing weight again and I was really enjoying it. And it was just one of those things where I just told my husband, I said, you know, I think I want to make a go of this because I said, I think I want to quit my job and try to do this. And I hadn't even made any money yet. So mm. it was pretty, it was pretty scary, but I honestly just took the biggest leap of faith that I have taken in my whole life because that was the beauty of working in restaurants. Like within a week I could be back. I had this safety net and I could do it anywhere in the world. There's restaurants everywhere. And, you know, I had worked all the way up through management HR. So I had a pretty good resume in terms of, you know, restaurant life. And so I'm just the kind of person that like when I start something, I treat it like it's a career and not a hobby from the get-go. So I just said, you know, I'm going to do this. And then I just spent the next seven years leading up to today, just like researching, refining, following the trends, like figuring it out. So neat. And when did the cookbooks happen? Like you have so many awesome cookbooks. It's crazy. Thank you. For everybody listening, this girl's like queen of keto. I mean, I saw four keto cookbooks, but are there more? There are more. So I think 2012, like I kind of jumped right in and I didn't even approach publishers. Like it didn't even really cross my mind. I just said, I'm going to write a book. My friend was a graphic designer. I was like, Hey, would you want to make the ebook? And would you want to like line the book up for me? And then I'll just self publish it. And I self published a hundred recipe book a year after I started blogging. Oh my word. And I'm so thankful that I did because I obviously I couldn't afford to do it in color or add photos. I was self publishing. It was way too expensive. So when I look at it now, it's like, looks like a leaflet. Cause it's like six inches by nine inches. And it's like, it's like something you want to like, it's going to be on your car windshield when you leave the grocery store. But it's like, it's like little but mighty. It has a hundred recipes in it. It's just small. And so I'm really happy that I have that because it's like, again, it's just this like mapping like this chart of growth that I can look back on like a scrapbook. So when it taught you kind of the process probably, which got you prepped and experienced to publish the real deal. Yeah. I mean, in some ways it's really different because when you self-publish, you have full control over everything. You don't have nearly much as, as much control when you're working with a publisher. But mm, That's true. And then I professionally published for the first time in 2015. So how was that? Did you have somebody contact you then and ask you to do a keto-specific book? Or did you already have the idea? Or how did that all go down? Actually, it was a little harder then because that was like right when like paleo was reaching its peak. Oh my gosh, you're right. Keto wasn't even the big thing yet. No, everybody was still poo-pooing low carb. People even hadn't even heard the word keto. Like they had heard low carb because of Atkins and Zone and you know other things. So like I had friends, blogger friends that were writing paleo books and one of them just got me a call with their publisher, but they almost didn't want to do it because I wanted to write a low carb book and they were kind of trying to squeeze me into this paleo mold. So it became more of like a low carb primal book, but everybody in the paleo world and paleo was like a huge paradigm shift in diet and lifestyle and real food movement. And, but when you have all of these people that people now view as authorities poo-pooing like 
a low carb diet, it was a little harder. So my first book didn't do as well. Plus it was with a different publisher that really doesn't do anything in the way of marketing or promotions or book tours or anything. So then my three most recent books and the ones I'm working on now are with a different publisher. And that's been amazing. Like I can't say enough great things about them. I tell them all the time that I think they must have like weekly edification classes or something because they are so good at elevating their authors. Oh, that's so awesome. What a cool relationship. So let's back up. And just for anybody listening who's not super familiar with keto, tell us, just simply describe keto and then tell us about the cookbooks. So in the simplest of terms, a ketogenic lifestyle or diet is low carb, high fat, moderate protein. And there is a lot of offshoots of that and people that are doing it a lot of different ways. And I think that you could ask 20 different people and they're all going to give you a slightly different answer, which I think is great because I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all approach to anything. But I think the most common answer that you will hear from everyone is low-carb, high-fat in the simplest of terms. And it's like really high-fat, right? Like quite a huge percentage of, of a meal, like of a plate. I mean, compared to the standard American diet, yeah. Like some people actually, depending on how sensitive their stomach is, they have to work their fat up over time or they can feel really nauseous. But yeah, when you take the carbs down and the fat up, that's, that's kind of where the magic happens. But, not, but, but again, not for everyone. It's not for everyone. And I see all these people, you know, spreading this message of like keto is the be all endo kind of like when paleo first got big. And it's just, yes, while I agree that yes, real whole nutrient dense food is for everyone, keto is not for everyone. And so mm, I like hearing that. I mean, not that I'm against keto. I'm actually pro keto, but it's true. I think it's and the more I go back and forth in my own diet and I've got an autoimmune disease. So I'm constantly like trying to figure out what works for me and what kind of diet works the best for this disease. But it's true. The more I'm figuring it out, the more the one message that comes home to me is that it's not this exact thing every time. It's like, and it doesn't work exactly the same for everybody. So it really is like you've got to kind of figure out what works for you. But having said that, yes, whole food is always going to be good for everybody. So tell me about the cookbooks and what kind of recipes we're looking at. What is the differentiation between those three? So the Craveable Keto, it's just, it's kind of a monster of a book, 145 recipes, 100 pages of resources about how to do keto, how to transition to keto, kind of my personal story um, with my own weight struggles, kind of connectivity building community there. And from the recipe standpoint, I wanted to show people that it didn't have to feel like a sacrifice and that you didn't have to feel deprived and that you could still have all of your favorite foods. You just had to get a little creative to fit them into your current nutritional template. But I made it my mission to like, I see all of these books. In fact, some of my friends that write books and I'm thinking like, I don't know, what is that ingredient? Like if you have to go online and like search <laughs> for an ingredient, you're not going to find it in my book. So like I wrote all of my books with every part, like if you have one grocery store and you're a really small town, you should be able to find everything to make the recipes in my book. And I wanted it to be accessible and approachable, but still be like delicious but like to have this home cook be like, yeah, I could work in a restaurant. That's how good I cook now. Mm -hmm. And so I've kind of made it my mission to show you that it can be easy and delicious without any like weird, funky ingredients. And then 30 minute ketogenic cooking is along that same premise, but all meals that you can complete in 30 minutes. And then I'm a problem solver in that if you ask me a question enough times, I'm just going to make a resource for you. So I kept getting asked over and over, can you have alcohol on a low carb diet? Can you still be keto and drink alcohol? Or what are some, you know, keto friendly or low carb cocktails that I can have? 
And so I just wrote a whole book called Keto Happy Hour. Nice. So it's got 60 <laughs> like, nice. recipes. Like, yeah, I made all of the mixers from scratch. I recreated a lot of classic cocktails like margaritas, Cosmos, daiquiris, things oh, like that. Yes. I even made like a homemade version of Bailey's, like a Irish cream and a coffee liqueur, like Kahlua. So it's all in there. And um, again, just simple, approachable, but to just help people live their lifestyle without feeling compromised and just, you know, getting healthier in the process. Love it. Such a resource, all three of those books. And they're very unique, like in what they bring to the table and just good everyday stuff. And just by the way, like, oh my gosh, the nachos that you posted. Uh, I was like, what? I can have nachos in my life again? Talk me through this situation. Well, you know, that's kind of actually how my blog was born. So I knew really early on before I even knew that I wanted to be a blogger professionally or that I wanted to be a cookbook author. I knew that if I was going to find any success in my own personal weight journey, that it ha- it couldn't come at the risk of taking complete foods off the table because I'm the type of person where if I was like, that's it, I'm never eating pizza again, pizza will become the sole focus of my desire. And my life will be about attaining pizza, getting, you know, like hiding yeah. pizza under my, you know, like, it's just, don't tell me I can't have something. And so I knew right away that I needed to just recreate my favorite food. So those those nachos, like those chips, that's one of the very first recipes. The picture that you saw is new, but that's one of the very first recipes that I ever wrote. I think that recipe is from very early in 2012. Oh, that's interesting. And I did the same thing with like a, a caramelized onion and prosciutto mac and cheese that I did with cauliflower. Oh, yum. And then like pizza. So there's probably 20 different low-carb pizza recipes on my site. And I just was like, okay, I'm not going to give up these foods. I'm just going to redesign what they look like in my current life. Okay. And I got to talk to you about these onions. So we're fans of the no crumbs left marinated onions. But then when I saw your pickled onions, it reminded me of this restaurant I used to go to that had those onions. And I just love onions in any format. But tell me, is it just what's in this? Like red wine vinegar or something? So in the pickled red onions, yeah, like... I kind of fell in love with them off the whole food salad bar, but they had sugar in them. And so I was like, I'm going to remake these. So it's red wine vinegar, apple cider vinegar, a little bit of erythritol and dried oregano, red pepper flakes, whole bunch of garlic cloves, and then the red onions. And you just kind of let it, you put all the spices and the garlic and the onions in the jar. You just heat up the vinegars and the erythritol and a little bit of salt and you pour it over top and then you just let it do its magic. And literally every day when you pull the jar out, it tastes better and better and better the longer it's in there. Mm, And how long do they last? I've had some up in my fridge, like when I've made like a double batch for a month or longer, like up to two months. Cause like think how long you'll have pickled, like anything like like a jar of pickles in your fridge. Like, okay, that jar of pickles is going to last you through the apocalypse. That's kind of how these are. (laughs) So I like, but people like them so much. I don't think that they ever run the risk of like, how long can I keep these in here? Cause they're just eating them so fast because you start putting them on everything like salads, steak, eggs, you know, they're just good on everything. Yeah, girl, preaching to the choir. <laughs> I'm all about the onions. I'm all about the red onions, and I'm all about the marinated onions and the pickled onions. Love it. And they really are good on everything. So I'm excited to try your specific recipe. I also have been dying to ask you about Butcher Box because I just recently was thinking about getting in on that subscription in my own life. But tell me, like, what's the deal? Or is it that good? It is that good. And for me, one of the things that I really wanted to do was really kind of start looking at where we were getting the food that we were eating. It wasn't like I just was like, oh, okay, all of a sudden I can afford all grass-fed and organic everything. I had to work up to that. that there were sacrifices. I always tell people, like, you can find room for anything. Like, 
when we couldn't afford grass-fed meat, we stopped going out for coffee and bam, we found the money. Isn't that amazing? You know? Mm-hmm. Touche. <laughs> but I guess I didn't know how really good like pastured and organic chicken, for example, tasted because I was only used to grocery store chicken and I'd even buy like organic chicken in the grocery store, but they're still plumping it full of, you know, water or broth water, because yeah. it's... Mm-hmm. So I got to the point where like, I almost didn't want to cook chicken and I wear gloves to handle it, like black kitchen gloves, like latex yeah, getting like grossed out. Yeah. Yes. And I was like, God, am I like, do I want to be a vegetarian? What's happening? And then they had approached me about partnering with them. And obviously I got to try the meat for free the first time, but then I was instantly like, yes, I want this. And one of the big things that sold me on them, particularly as a company, is that they have animal welfare at the forefront of their mission. Mm-hmm. And they're only working with small family farms that humanely raise their animals. The beef is grass-fed and grass-finished. And that's amazing, too, because, I mean, I feel like I'm in a somewhat metropolitan area. I'm in Alexandria, Virginia. And it is hard to find anywhere that sells grass-finished anything. They don't even know what that is when I ask a store worker, like, Maybe they'll know what grass-fed is, but nobody even knows what grass-finished is, and it's just hard to find anything. So to think that there's a company that their whole existence is to do this is cool. (laughs) I'm excited about it. Yeah, and I've been working with them for over two years now, and I love it. It's like my favorite mail day of the month. Like, (laughs) hey, there's a giant box of meat on my porch. This is the best life ever. (laughs) Tell me, like, some of the top over the years, like, favorite recipes that you've got. I would say to this day, probably one of my, in my top five are... And it's actually on the cover of my Craveable Keto book, but it's another one of those recipes that I wrote in 2011 or 2012. And it's a pan seared chicken with balsamic cream sauce and then caramelized onions and mushrooms. Yeah. And like if you were to come over to my house for dinner and I wanted to put on this spread that makes you feel like you were eating in a fine dining restaurant, that's probably what I would make you. It's just easy, but it's impressive and the flavors are so complex. Yeah. Oh yeah, the caramelized onion and prosciutto mac and cheese that I already mentioned. I love that. It's just a lot of dairy, like five different kinds of dairy. So, um, <laughs> and then lately, like I, I eat egg roll in a bowl all the time. I'm sure if you follow mm, me on social yum. media, you've seen it, but it's just so fresh and light and easy to throw together. Those are some of my kind of favorites and that are pretty heavy in my rotation. Nice. Are you a cookbook person? I, this is kind of weird because <laughs> I'm like a cookbook hoarder, but I write cookbooks and I don't read them. <laughs> you know, like yeah. I'll look through the pictures and I'll be like, oh, this is nice. Or, oh, they have really stunning photography. And it's like artwork or something. It is. And it's <laughs> like, they're like my own private versions of sculptures. Well, and plus because, because I'm a cookbook author, I'm on the review list for a lot of other publishing houses. So I get sent review copies of all of these books, especially if they're, you know, low carb paleo. And so I have a ton of them, but I never cook from, I don't cook from cookbooks because I'm always writing my own recipes, either for my website or for whatever project I'm working on, but I love owning them. I like books in general. I've never been an ebook type of person. I like to hold like a real, like even like the smell of like an old book, like, yeah, this smells like an old library, you know, I love books, but yeah, I don't cook from them, (laughs) but I I own a lot of them. (laughs) Where do you get your inspiration to just keep coming up with new awesome recipes? Literally everywhere. I always tell people that if my like my idea factory and my brain just shut down today, I could probably still write five more books just from the list I haven't ever known. Wow. But like anything, like sometimes it's a smell, a sight, or like a picture, or just something that I see that's like a really high carb dish that looks like a challenge that I want to kind of healthify, for lack of a better word, and make it low carb. But inspiration is literally everywhere. Love it. So where do you see it all going the next five to 10 years? Give us your broad stroke plan. 
every time I lay it out, it changes courses. So it's just kind of I feel like I'm kind of along for the ride in my own life sometimes. But I want to jump more like into video. So I love This is so weird. So public, I only have like two real fears in life. And one is public speaking, but I just went on a massive book tour. And the other is heights. And so I'm like, just step outside of the comfort zone. But I've done TV appearances and that is my jam. I don't get nervous at all. Isn't that weird? That is so weird. I saw, it was NBC, right? That you were on? I mean, you've probably been on a bunch of shows, but yeah, like, I would be so nervous. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know if it's because it's so fast. You have like seven minutes to cram all that in or if it's because you're really only talking to the camera. But so for me, like I love doing those like live cooking demos. I feel, I just feel my happiest and my best self in that moment. And so I want to start branching out into more video type stuff on my YouTube channel. We just underwent a massive kitchen renovation. And one of the reasons for it was because I want to start shooting some like real time live cooking videos, not like the tasty overhead style sped up videos, but like actual more cooking demos. And so I think I have another project book wise in the works after the one I'm currently working on. But then I want to start branching out into like maybe more of my own kind of cooking channel. That's one of the things on my list for 2019. And then really kind of working on my photography even more. Do it. Love it. (laughs) I'm all about the videos. I mean, I think people are realizing it's sort of the wave of the direction things are going. It's what people want to see. I mean, it's very personal and you feel like you're cooking with that person in the kitchen. And I love it. Two of the reasons I think that video is all the craze now is because number one, it's easier for people's attention spans. People don't read anymore. They skim. I know, you're right. They don't read, they just skim. But then also, I think that humans are voyeuristic by nature. And I think (laughs) that's that's why Instagram stories are so huge. Like, I can't even tell you how many of my readers, they know my husband's name, they can tell you every single one of my dog's name. They know, you know, because because Instagram stories or Instagram live, it's like having your own private big brother for these people that you don't know and you feel like you know them. Yeah, definitely. I think that's another reason video is so popular. I think we're just all a little bit voyeuristic in nature, whether we'll admit it or not. Yeah, and then you hit the nail on the head too. Like the stories are just short enough that it's like, you know what I mean? It's like we have the shortest attention span. So 15 seconds is perfect. (laughs) And you can just tap forward. So if 15 seconds, if you can't even watch for 15 seconds, (laughs) if you have like a a four second threshold, you can just skip ahead. (laughs) That's so funny. So just, we skipped over like family, but I do want to hear, so you're married and you have two kids? I have two stepkids from my husband's first marriage and we have three dogs. We had five, but we lost two recently. Oh, I'm sorry. I know it's weird. It's a weird thing to say, but it also feels weird to say three because it was so recent, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you've probably been saying five for so long. Wow. Five. Yeah. So it's like one big happy household here, four adults, three dogs and a bearded dragon. (laughs) So is it pretty much keto across the board, like for the whole family or keto-ish? I, the kids will eat whatever I make. They're, like we introduced them to a wide range of foods when they were really young. Like they were eating sushi when they were like four and five and they liked it. So Love it. Yeah. And I think that that's the key is just giving your kids these foods and not letting them eat solely mac and cheese. But so they'll eat whatever I cook and they like it. But we don't strictly say, okay, like, I'm not like, are you at school? <laughs> You're not weighing out, yeah. Keto, yeah, like they eat, like our daughter's vegetarian and she chose to be and we just wanted to support it. And so we're really focused on making sure that she's getting the right, you know, vitamins and nutrients in her diet that way. But yeah, they'll eat whatever I cook. They're really good eaters. Cool. Okay, I'm going to give you one final question before I pass you over to Tedra for the Ask Everyone. Tell us, what's one of your most favorite memories of a meal or food? Oh, geez, that's a tough one. 
I mean, it's hard to narrow down because food is so tied in with our memories. Mm-hmm. Just the one that pops into your head the quickest. I'm just going to say any time that I'm out with friends. My favorite thing ever would be inter- like having friends over for dinner and cooking. I know that that's really vague. No, I love that, though. And I feel the same way. It's like just being with your tight community of people you do life with, sharing food. It really, does it get any better than that? I don't know. <laughs> no, I don't think so, because those are the two things I love is like my close-knit circle and food. So combining those two things is like perfect. I love it. Tell me, like, what's one or two great tips you could share with the listeners? I just think the greater message that I like to tell everyone is that it's just never too late to pursue your passions or take a leap of faith, and whether that's in your personal life or your professional life. And then probably the second tip would just be not to fear starting, not to feel like you have to know everything before you start. Like, say you're just wanting to transition to a ketogenic lifestyle. Learn as you go and just make it your goal to do a little bit better each day than the day before. Because if you wait until you feel like you know everything and if you f- want to wait until you feel like you're ready, you're never going to feel ready and then it's going to result in a failure to launch. So I just hope you'll just get started. If I called you at 9 a.m. on any given day, what are you most likely doing? Probably finishing up my coffee, my second or third cup, and doing what I call my bookends. And it's the things that I do every single day to start and end my day off. What is something people would be surprised to know about you? that I dropped out of high school and that graduating high school and going and getting a big college degree doesn't necessarily equate the only path to success. How do you like to decompress? Time spent outside with just with people I love. Hiking, going on a nice long walk, just dinner with friends. Who are three people you'd love to follow on Instagram? My whole Instagram feed, it's hard to kind of narrow down to people because I don't follow a lot of people, and most of mine are just really pretty food and nature pages. So I'll just, instead of specific pages, it's just all, I try to surround it with all possibility. It's more topics. Yeah, positivity and possibility and, yeah. Excluding social media, what's your favorite app? (laughs) This is probably like the lamest answer ever, but I use Evernote religiously, personally and professionally, synced between all my devices. And I know that I'm like, it's not What is is that? You can use it for like keeping track of, I guess I would say maybe kind of like the earliest form of Slack, if I was going to say that, but you can use it to communicate with others. It's kind of like a way to use different to-do lists and set up work cues between yourself and other people. And the great part is that it's kind of how I communicate with myself across all devices. If I don't have my computer or if I don't want to pull something out of cloud storage, it's just, I can open it on any device and anything I was working on is there. So what's a book that you're currently loving? I love, love, love to read, but I've been so immersed in projects lately that I haven't made, I can't say I haven't, I haven't had time. I haven't made the time to sit and really get lost in a good book. I've been listening to just so many true crime podcasts. I know that's not a book. <laughs> so but, addicting. Uh, the last book that I read cover to cover and that truly loved is Unconventional Medicine by Chris Kresser. I think everyone should read that. Okay, so one thing that I think is interesting, and this is just a sidebar, is that I listen to so many podcasts too. And so the time I used to spend listening to music, I now give to podcast. And so it's like, I feel bad, like giving up like the love of music that I have. And, but it's hard to like get time to consume as much as I want. It's like, it's a lot of data and a lot of content to consume, you know? I agree for sure. So describe your perfect day. 
I'm kind of a workaholic. So my perfect day would be a blend of work and just personal life. But if I was going to take work out of the equation, my very perfect day would be in Maui on a beach with my husband with a cocktail in hand. What's your favorite beverage of choice in the morning and also at night? My top two beverages are kombucha and coffee. What city has you shedding a tear when you have to leave? (laughs) Maui every time. Oh, it's my favorite place. I'm getting ready to go again next month too, so. Do you have a current Netflix addiction? I will obsessively binge watch things, but the last few weeks it's been all food and nature, like watching all of the chef's table or salt, fat, acid, heat. I've been really watching a lot of food documentaries and things like that. Have you checked out that new show, It's the Final Table, on Netflix? I just added it to my list, but I haven't watched it. It's good. They have some, like, crazy, amazing good chefs on that show. Like, you'll you'll recognize a lot of them, like, worldwide, like, incredible chefs. I can imagine. No, I have, um, I saved it, but I hadn't been in the mood to watch, like, competition style, so I hadn't watched it yet, but I was really excited when I saw it on there. I would say it's like a blend of, like, Chopped, which I'm iffy on and top chef it's sort of like a blend of those two things so that's how i would describe it oh yeah i can't wait to watch it okay so what song do you currently have on repeat anything lindsey sterling like i swear i wrote my whole all of my books listening to lindsey sterling any favorite beauty product found in your bags at all time my makeup is pretty low maintenance in that I only wear eye makeup and I don't put anything too much on my face. But at any given time, if you're going to open my bag, you're going to find a mattifying powder and a gloss. So who would you love to have a cup of coffee with? Oprah. Do you live by a motto? A motto that I believe in so strongly, I actually have it tattooed on the inside of my arm. And that's that a rising tide lifts all boats. It's a JFK quote. And... I just truly believe that there is room for everyone at the top and that to throw another quote in there, you're not going to extinguish your flame by lighting another. I love these. You're so full of like positivity and like just encouragement for people to go for things when it's so easy for us to get in our own head and give all the reasons why we can't do something. And you seem to have overcome that and you're looking for the reasons why you can. So I love that. It's an active practice. I'll tell you that I am, I'm cynical by nature. Every day I start my day, I tell myself, Happiness is a choice and waking up is a blessing. I have to practice positivity. My husband is like sickingly happy all the time. And I'm like, <laughs> you're not normal. What's wrong with you? But like me, I have to actually actually practice happiness. And that sounds weird to some people, but I believe that it's a choice and you have to you have to choose it. I believe that too. It really is a choice to like decide how you want to have your emotions play out. I mean, some things are gonna happen to you that are gonna cause emotions, but you really do have control over them. Absolutely. Okay, so who's your celebrity crush? Celebrities are just people. I don't really, I don't know, I don't really have any celebrity crushes. Like, maybe Brene Brown. We'll say that. I got to see her. So, um, Dax Shepard has a podcast, the oh, Armchair Expert. you went in Austin. Oh, you're breaking my heart. I yes. wish I could have been there. Oh, I yeah, so so I, I live in Austin. So, I was excited to go see that live podcast recording. And so, we did not know who the guest was going to be. And I kept thinking, like, who's in Austin that maybe, you know, has a little bit of, like, celebrity or actor connection that he might like have and when oh, she came out loved. people went bananas like it was crazy I my face off. I'm, I'm a fellow armchairy here so I can't I, I'm like I want him to come to Seattle so bad and then I'm, my husband and I were just talking about like who would his Seattle guest be we were trying to figure it out yeah it was great so I highly recommend it he's he's great okay so what food would you absolutely not eat <laughs> this is kind of funny but I don't like Brussels sprouts 
like at all. Like, and they're some of the most popular recipes on my site. And people say, well, how do you cook them if you don't like them? And I'm like, because I know how to cook, but I don't. And I think it's because it was my childhood torture food. They were like boiled until they were brown. (laughs) They they started off frozen frozen, and then they were boiled until they were brown with salt on them. (laughs) And I never recovered. I can't blame you. I will say that I did not like Brussels sprouts my entire life. I mean, it's just a last probably five years. I really have just come to and love them. And not only do I love them, I'm like obsessed with them now. So the fact that I did live most of my life thinking, gross, I'm never going to eat them. But once I realized it's like, they're just baby cabbage and I love cabbage. So I was, I was able to like make that connection. And then if they're prepared, right, that's the key. And that's what really won me over in the end. But yeah, I get that. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. What's your biggest pet peeve? I really don't like disingenuous people. I live in this kind of space where you always have to, one of the downfalls of my job is you have to question everyone's motives. And I don't love that, but it's like living the life of an influencer, so to speak. I don't love that word, but you have to question the reason that everybody wants to align themselves with you. And it's because of that, you know, going back to that arising tide lifts all boats mottos. I've given so freely of my time and my resources in the past only to be really, really burned. Like without giving like names or anything, like what's an example? Like how did that, what did that look like? Like what's like not naming someone, but just like, what was an example of that? Like someone who was really kind of trying to break into blogging and I just taught them like everything I know, like, here's how you monetize your site. Here are the ad networks you can, you know, sign up for just different ways of like diversifying revenue streams, like how to engage, like how to build your SEO, how to build your online presence and things like that. And, um, it's happened more than once, but one was like a really like crushing blow where they just turned out not to be who I thought. And they just kind of took everything that they wanted from me and then they were done. Oh, that's sad. It's it's disappointing because you were open. You were open and sharing authentically with someone who you thought like, okay, I'm going to help this person get a a little leg up because it's hard to learn all those things on your own, like get the curve for yourself. And then to share it is so generous and then it feels bad. I want to see everybody get ahead and just live their passion. And, you know, like I said, I just, I could teach you every single thing that I know, but we're still going to offer different things. And so me teaching you how to be successful doesn't take away from my success. In fact, it adds to it because now I've shared my gift with the world, but not everybody views it that way. Or just, you know, I'll see people that would never give you the time of day before will now say like people that were like really big going back into like the kind of paleo community. Now though, well, paleo has kind of like died off and keto is all the rage. A lot of the paleo authors are writing keto books and now they're all my best friends when they turned down review copies of my first book because they did not like low carb. They wouldn't even like associate with me as a person based on nutritional choices. But now because I'm eight years in and I'm established in this arena, I have a bunch of new best friends. (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting how that all works. I really crave authenticity and people who do things from a place of integrity. And so like that would be my biggest pet peeve is disingenuous people. Okay, so what's the best gift you've ever received? Gosh, okay. Everyone is going to want to vomit when they hear this, but (laughs) my husband, I, I don't even know... I did something right in this universe or in this lifetime and all the lifetimes before it to get him. And I, I honestly think of him as a gift, the best gift I ever got in my life. I just love that. Like, I mean, there's some couples that you could just like look at and, and admire because you know that they just have each other's back and it sounds like you got lucky. I did. Okay. So what's the best gift you ever given? I think the best gifts I've ever given are the ones that I don't talk about. And I say that because sometimes when you give a gift big or small, and you talk about it, it kind of seems like you're bragging. But Mm -hmm. I just say that I I did something 
completely pure of heart that was really big for a family member. Um, and it was, I watched their life change and blossom as a result. And then it came back to me tenfold by getting to see it happen without like saying what it was. Cause she'll probably listen oh, to this. Awesome. And, yeah. Like I just, sometimes the best gifts are the ones that you give and you don't tell anybody about. And then you just watch behind the scenes. Okay. So what's the last thing you Googled? <laughs> if there's a way to recast. <laughs> <laughs> if there's a way to recalibrate the my new range, so we just went under went like a big kitchen remodel, and I got this big professional grade range, this dual fuel source range. But it runs so hot that you can bring something to a boil on low, and I feel like if I can't, yeah, I feel like if they can't recalibrate it, I might have to get a new range because it's gonna, you know, I can't say like, hey, you know, cook on medium for fifteen to twenty minutes, and then, but I'm right. cooking low for five minutes, like it is vastly hotter than anything I've ever cooked on. And it's not just a difference of gas and electric because I've cooked on gas before, but literally like I can't simmer anything without it coming to a rolling boil. Like it's, it's really hot. Oh, that so that's, is interesting. So I kind of did a Google deep dive about recalibrating my stove. <laughs> it's like a learning opportunity, right? <laughs> yeah. So what would you say are your dreams and like your big goals for the future? You know, my dreams and goals are a lot kind of, I kind of already feel like I'm living a lot of my dreams and goals and I don't know what the future is going to hold for me, but I'm willing and ready to take on whatever comes my way. I just want to keep helping as many people as I can in the process because it's crazy to be in this space where we equate success with money, but I equate success by how many people that I can help. And in doing so the money comes, you know? Yeah. And so for me, I'm just excited to kind of see what arenas that I can help more people outside of health and wellness and, you know, even more connection on a personal level, because I think we live in an age where we're supposedly more connected than ever. I feel like we're more disconnected as a society. And so my goal is kind of going forward is to keep doing more of what I'm doing, but to kind of bring about this, you know, connection and inner peace and spread this message of self-love. And I'm not exactly sure what form that's going to take on professionally yet. I just know that everywhere that I'm going directionally is in trying to help more people. Okay, so we have one last question. What's the greatest life advice you've ever received? You know, it's so funny. I don't think I've ever been asked this question, and this is the second time I've been asked today. Isn't that random? Oh, that is random. <laughs> yeah. so maybe you have a, I, now you know what to say then. <laughs> I know. I did. Well, it's kind of funny, and I, I said I couldn't really think of, like, one big piece of advice. Like, I really feel like I became very independent enough on my own at an early age. Like, I racked my brain trying to answer this question, and... I couldn't think of one piece of advice that was given to me. I just kept coming up with things that I wish that people had told me earlier, you know, that would have helped yeah, like, uh-huh. give me a leg up. And then it kind of turned into a piece of advice that I want to give that I wish I would have been given. So I know that's not exactly what you're asking, but is that okay if I answer in that yeah, way? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh, okay. Yeah. So I have this like idea like, okay, say you're lucky enough to get 90 years on this earth to reach the ripe old age of 90. Well, if you think of it in terms of you spend a third of your life at work. And even more so if you take into the time, if you have a commute, you spend a third of your life working or coming to and from work. Then you spend another third of your life asleep. If you're giving those 90 years, that would give you roughly less than 30 years of life to actually live like to its fullest to do what you want to do, what what sets your soul on fire. And so my advice would be use those 30 years as wisely as you can. And just like ruthlessly live in the pursuit of what makes you happy and brings you joy and sets your soul on fire because 30 years will go by in the blink of an eye. 
Oh gosh, that's good. That's passionate and I love it. <laughs> that's great. Okay. Okay. This has been so great talking to you. I appreciate your time. Appreciate you coming on. Tell us where do we find you online and what's your social media handles and all that good stuff. So all across the board, I'm just peace, love, and low carb. All ro- roads will lead to me with peace, love, and low carb. That is my handle on Instagram, on Pinterest, on Facebook, and it's my website, peaceloveandlowcarb.com. So if you forget and you just type that in, you're gonna all the results are going to lead to either me, my books, my site, or my social media. Okay, great. Okay, thank you for being here with us today. We appreciate your time, and hopefully we'll talk again soon. All right, thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. All right, bye. Bye. holiday season's upon us. That means like a lot of us are in the kitchen baking. You go first. Tell me like, what's your favorite thing to bake over the holidays? Well, lots of things. But if I had to narrow it down, one of our family favorites are the spiced pig. They're the Swedish pigs. That's what we call them. (laughs) Um, And it's no joke. Like we all in our family have pig cookie cutters. So it's the shape of a pig. And it's like a ginger snap cookie, but better. It's a little bit less gingery than a ginger snap, but so many other spices. Like there's no joke pepper in there. And I think cardamom, I don't know. It's just the best, warm, spiciest flavor. And my mom, when she was, I mean, you know, she was a home ec teacher back in the day. And she had like some holiday party with the students where they, it was foreign students. And each of the foreign students had to come in and do like a little briefing on what was famous from their country type deal, like the holiday favorite. And so that's when she learned about them. And we've just made them every year since. And so they're super hardcore favorite. And they're frosted with like a royal icing. I don't know. They're just delicious. Yeah. I think I've had them like once or twice at your mom's house probably. I mean, that with like cocoa or a cup of tea. Oh, so good. Okay. So I'll say what my favorite are. So my mom, she loves, well, I shouldn't say she loves it, but she has baked a lot of cookies over her lifetime. And so she'll bake, she used to do like five or six different cookies and fudge and all sorts of things. We have it narrowed down now. She doesn't do as much these days, but orange cookies are our favorite. Ooh. And bird's nest, I would say. Oh, like the no like, bakes, the no bake bird nest things. Yeah. Those no bake oh, bird's nest things. So she puts like toffee, like bits in them. And then, yeah. okay. So the orange cookies are like this simple, like almost like a cakey cookie. Like you would think just a simple, and it has a little bit of orange flavor, but then the icing also has orange in it. And they're, they're so mm, good. Yeah. Oh, they're just delicious. And then she makes gooey cake. It's like these little buttery, sugary, gooey, like little, squares almost like a fudge square but like your mom my aunt candy makes these i don't think i've ever even heard of these all these years oh my gosh gooey cakes okay yep gooey cake anyway i'm sort of (laughs) watering for all this it's like i'm I'm thankful she doesn't make quite as much so there's not as much temptation but um we're always like nowadays she's like i'm only gonna make two what do y'all want we're always like well i want this i want this (laughs) battle of the cookies but oh yeah it's a fun time So we just want to thank everyone for listening today. And if you like the show, we would love for you to head over to iTunes and give us a positive review. You can find us at wegettoknow.com where you can sign up for our newsletter and we're on social media at wegettoknow. Head over to Instagram. We'd love to hear from you and get your opinions on guests and show ideas. Our music is provided by the talented Blake Atwell of Studio 1916. Until next time, take care as we continue to get to know all of our favorite people. 